One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Life seems to be slowly returning to normal after the elongated Easter holidays, but don't worry, uh, there's another bank holiday coming up next Monday, uh, just in case anybody's getting too used to working uh, five days a week. The Extinction Rebellion mob seems to have wound down their climate protest. Uh, they were all in awe uh, of the saint from Sweden yesterday, and they were all down at Westminster watching all of the politicians falling over themselves, treating this uh, young 16-year-old girl as if she was the Dalai Lama. Uh, the police, of course, uh, have now... Uh, got to uh, gear up for the next big demo, which will be when Donald Trump arrives for a state visit in June. Presumably, uh, that's when they'll all uh, get back to uh, normal service in the police force after all the partying, all the dancing and all the skateboarding at the weekend. I wonder if the police are going to be skateboarding around with the anti-Trump folk. Now it's official, of course. The police are now giving up on half the crimes reported in this country because they say they simply don't have the resources because of funding cuts. Now, I've got sympathy with them for that, but perhaps they can answer me this. If they haven't got the resources, how did they find 1,500 officers to police the demos in London last week, when eventually, although they were arresting people, uh, they allowed all sorts of disruption to go ahead, and exactly who paid for it? And what have they done with all the millions it cost to protect Donald Trump? The last time he was in town, Sadiq Khan was moaning yesterday, the London mayor, that it cost 18 million quid. Well, presumably the police got some of that, didn't they? 0344 499 1000. We'll be talking to Peter Blexley, former Metropolitan Police officer, who could perhaps help us with why the police are saying they simply give up on about 50% of crimes now because they know they won't be able to solve them. Coming up later on, we'll be finding out why 12 million energy customers have overpaid their bills by £1.5 billion and why those companies won't give the people their money back and why oil companies are refusing to pass on a further £8 billion of their profits to customers. It's absolutely shambolic. It's a shameful uh, way to behave. And these companies ought to be uh, brought to book and give the money over to the consumers. We are after all, supposedly, the people paying for the services. 0344 499 1000. Also, we'll be finding out why ships now may have to be gender neutral and how you can jam somebody's mobile phone. I can think of one or two people who I would like to do that to. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, there's lots and lots of stories we could be talking about this morning. We are, of course, going to be crossing live uh, over to uh, Northern Ireland to Derry, uh, where there's a funeral taking place today. Prime Minister Theresa May uh, is going to be going over there as well uh, to cover that, of course. And uh, we'll be checking back in with uh, Sri Lanka because it turns out that one of the terrorists, at least, uh, who took part in that terrible bombing over Easter Sunday uh, had actually spent some time in this country. So we'll find, find out from our defence experts precisely what the threat might still be down there in Sri Lanka and what the threat might still be over in Northern Ireland by the way as well it's also Prime Minister's questions today uh, although Theresa May won't be there so David Liddington uh, will take it. Uh, let's first of all start up with though the police because the police have been very much in the spotlight over the last uh, shall we say few days we had we had lots and lots of, uh, of footage on Twitter of the Extinction Rebellion police, the people who were supposed to be making sure uh, that everything was, uh, was being uh, adhered to that law and order uh, was all going well and that everything was being done peacefully.
peacefully. We saw police officers dancing with some of the protesters. We saw some police officers actually skateboarding across Waterloo Bridge while it was being held up illegally, in my view, by some of these protesters. Uh, it turns out that actually the Metropolitan Police have already now criticised those officers and said that they shouldn't have been doing what they were doing. Metropolitan Police Commander Jane Connors said she was disappointed uh, by seeing videos of officers dancing with protesters. I mean, she basically said uh, it's unacceptable behaviour uh, for the officers to do such a thing. There's now all sorts of investigations going on. But let's talk to Peter Blexley, former Metropolitan Police officer. Look, we know that it's not an easy thing to be a police officer in this day and age. They risk their lives from day to day. Uh, anything could happen. There could be terrorist attacks. There could be knife crimes. There could be all manner of things, shootings going on. But there is a problem because all I hear about is the fact that police officers are not really able to do their jobs because of a lack of resources. Is that actually true? Peter, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Shocking figures here on the front page of the Daily Mail in which it says that in Greater Manchester, something like 43% of offences uh, are either screened out straight away or solved straight away, which I take to mean not solved. Same goes for Bedfordshire. Uh, Wiltshire's even worse. It seems as though they're having to make these decisions based upon what they think uh, they resources they can throw at these, th- these things. Welcome to policing in the 21st century, <laughs> yes. I'm afraid to say. Um, the, the thin end of the wedge started many years ago when police started this screening out of offences. Yeah. Basically, if there wasn't a named suspect or some high-quality CCTV or something along those lines, then it quite simply wouldn't be investigated, mm. and that is being rolled out further and further and wider and wider, unfortunately. But it's being done for a, a, a raft of different reasons. Yeah. But, of course, we can always find anecdotal evidence one way or another, Peter. I mean, in the story that we're reading this morning, Greater Manchester Police said uh, that they uh, were, were able to visit the owners of a Cuban restaurant to ask them to remove a flag of Che Guevara out of a window, uh, but they couldn't be bothered looking for the people that stole some guy's £120,000 uh, Porsche 911 sports car. So there's something going a bit wrong here. And, and I can give you many stories from people that live in my neighbourhood, which is a fairly leafy sort of suburb yeah. of south-east London, where they have fallen victims to what I would regard as serious crimes, high-value goods being stolen, and these cases are simply not being investigated. So my advice to your listeners and to yourself would be, you know, in this day and age, we've got to protect ourselves and our property and everything we've worked so hard to accumulate. And how soon before that, though, becomes, Peter, some kind of a private uh, security firm using um, their own resources to look after particular neighbourhoods? How soon, for example, before we turn into South Africa and Cape Town, where they have sort of gated communities where nobody's allowed in or out unless they live there? It's here in certain respects. You've got private security companies already patrolling parts of London and further afield. Residents fortunate enough to be able to pay for their services, pay for these people who wear a uniform that bears some kind of resemblance to law enforcement, and these private patrols go up and down their streets um, doing, in certain regards the job of the police, although they very much are not the police. Yeah, right. And what what sort of powers do they have? Because I remember when they brought these PCSOs uh, into fruition and, and it, w- it was worked out very quickly by the bad guys that they didn't really have any rights to arrest anyone. But you can still make a citizen's arrest, can't you? So do these private security firms have the ability to arrest people? They have the same powers as you and me yeah. and all your listeners. If, right. uh, if a serious arrestable offence is being committed, then they can detain somebody for that, like anybody can. Um, but, but of course, you've got to be wealthy enough to afford yeah, it. Yeah. The difficulty is, what's happened in recent years, and I must say that policing, that uniform side of policing, has become a far more difficult job nowadays than what it was when I started in the late 70s. Yeah. Back in those days, it was really a game of cops and robbers, mm. good guys and bad guys. It was, it was as simple as that. But now, of course, the police have become the first port of call, almost a one-stop shop for all of society's ills. Yeah. And those uniformed cops are spending so much of their time dealing with people that have mental health issues yeah. because, of course, the services in that sector have been butchered, just like policing numbers and budgets have been butchered, and they find themselves picking up all these kind of things which a generation or two ago 
quite simply were not the police's business. Sure, but we also know as well that the police quite willingly go in, get themselves involved in situations like the flag uh, issue I just mentioned there in a Cuban restaurant, which is none of their business, really. I mean, they don't really need to go and do that kind of thing. And that will take resources in terms of sending maybe one or two officers down there, maybe uh, having to then write up a report. You know, all of the things that they say they haven't got time to do, they can find time to do uh, for what I would regard as rather nebulous and ridiculous issues. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the hanging of a Che Guevara flag yeah. um, in somebody's window, to many people, would be a rather nice adornment that they might even give a salute to as they walk Well, I mean, by. they might want to pop round at Ken Livingston's house. He's probably got a poster on the wall, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, and how far do we take it? Yeah, you know, I mean, let's face it. Well, I think it was George Orwell said that uh, liberty means having the right to offend someone. Yeah, well, um, we don't well, have that anymore. Well, sadly, it would appear not. And that is, quite frankly, just a disproportionate yeah. uh, waste of, of, of police officers' time because there is so much serious and organised crime out there. Serious and organised crime is a major threat to our society. Yeah. Look at how many people are being defrauded online these days, right. let alone the knife crime epidemic, vehicle crime, burglaries, violent assaults, they're on the up. Yeah, drug, massive drug-influenced in, in society now. Well, of course, but I think... So that could be a completely different debate that you'll get me drawn on because yeah. of, I'm, I'm actually uh, a keen supporter of the need for the reform of all our drug yeah. laws to, to legalise them and regulate them and thereby rip a multi-multi-billion pound industry mm. away from the iron-like grip of organised yes. crime. Well, you wouldn't get an argument from me about most of that, to be honest, Peter, because I'm, I'm with you. I mean, we've clearly failed at whatever you want to call it. It's certainly not a war on drugs because we never really had a chance. But the bottom line for me is that all the people who are importing the drugs are also importing a lot of young women. Prostitution is, is rife in this country. You know, human trafficking is rife. The smuggling of guns now. I mean, it's incredible. We've turned into a pretty lawless society. And then when people see, you know, police officers skateboarding across Waterloo Bridge uh, or dancing with these uh, Extinction Rebellion types, I mean, they start to tear their hair out. Yeah, and of course, you know, those officers were foolish because they, they, I think they, uh, they kind of felt they were at a Notting Hill Carnival type yeah. of event, which yeah. is, you know, generally speaking a joyous celebration of culture which is pre-planned mm. with the police's permission and involvement right. as opposed to Extinction Rebellion and their lazy type of campaigning where they just glued themselves to the street because yeah. they... they they doing anything more cerebral was clearly beyond them. Right. I mean, I was watching an interesting bit of footage last night, and you may remember this, as I do. Um, there was a, a sort of a, a commemoration of Blair Peach's death, uh, which happened over in Southall uh, many, many years ago. They've now put a plaque up where he, was, where he died after being hit over the head uh, by a police officer. But the, the rioting and the way the police were dealing with it was quite extraordinary to watch in a sort of historical perspective. You know, the police who weren't wearing riot gear, they were just wearing their old-fashioned Metropolitan Police helmets and, and, and all standing in a line, r literally running, baton charging people. I mean, I know that lots of people would say, well, that's not the future, that's not what we should be doing. Um, but, you know, it seems to me the police had a much better grip on society then. Well, I was at Southall Were that you? weekend that okay. Peach died as a young, uniformed PC. Mm. And, of course, not only was policing very different back in those days, but society was completely different. Yeah. For good or worse, there was a slightly more deferential society that we lived in, generally speaking. Um, teachers had more respect, police officers had more respect, and there weren't signs up in hospitals saying, if you assault a member of staff, you'll be prosecuted. Yeah, right. Um, so the wheel has turned. And was there more changed. assault of people in hospitals in those days or less? Say again? I said, I said, was there more assault of people in hospitals in those days or less? Oh, I, I, I think, generally speaking, there, there was less because suddenly this need that we have for signs being littered everywhere, mm. saying if you assault a member of staff, doctors, surgeries, even at the Dartford Tunnel when they had toll booths, yeah. you know, assaulting members of staff will be uh, reported and prosecuted. And I've always wondered why on earth would you want to assault somebody when you're paying pound fifty to go through a tunnel? But clearly some people <laughs> were so inclined. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, yeah, lucky yeah. if you get out of your car, there's not enough room, is there? Yeah, in, indeed. But, you know, so society has changed. There were many, many things wrong about policing back in the day yeah. at the time of Blair Peach's death. 
uh, and then, of course, not so many years after that, we had the Brixton riots, which which were a landmark moment for me, which made me look in the mirror and assess what I was doing and yeah. what I wanted to do in the police. Right. And, of course, we, we, we know that prior to the Police and Criminal Evidence Act of 1984, some practices within the police were utterly abhorrent. Yeah. People were getting fitted up, beaten up, beaten up, and lives were being ruined. Yeah. I, yesterday, I was at a, a, a train station in south-east London, and I saw officers from the Met and British Transport Police dealing with a clearly aggravated man who I suspect may have had some mental health issues, yeah. and I just stood and watched in amazement at these police officers, at the restraint they showed, yeah. at the amount of engagement that they, that they repeatedly tried to have with this man, and I thought they were a credit to mm. themselves and their police services, and moreover to, to society. In my day, that poor unfortunate man would have been unceremoniously handcuffed and slung in the back of a van, yeah. probably face first, and very barely any officer would have had any regard for his well-being. Mm. By crikey, how the police have improved in so many regards. Well, they have, but unfortunately the result of that is where we are now, which, as you say, means that they don't have time to do lots of other things. Uh, and we have a lot more people on the streets who are perhaps a danger either to themselves or to other people. Um, and I don't know what we do about that. I think an increase in police budgets and therefore police numbers would be helpful as long as any more officers that were recruited were, were put where they were kind of really needed, in the areas that affects the lives of you, me and our listeners. Yeah. In other words, you know, we, we want officers to investigate crime. That's yeah. what we want them to do. In a perfect world, we'd want them to be patrolling the streets and preventing crime. But because, of course, an officer couldn't patrol the streets for eight hours, come back to his police station and fill in uh, an effectiveness form, because you never know how much crime a, p a patrolling police officer prevents. That's why, because you can't measure their effectiveness, police patrolling, that bobby on the beat, has sadly become a thing of yesteryear. But again, it's all a political football as well, and I know we, we, we can't go on about this forever, but for example, the Home Office will say that Manchester Police's funding, Greater Manchester Police's funding, was up £35.8 million this year. I know for a fact that Sadiq Khan's office has wasted millions and millions of pounds on all manner of things, which they could have spent on upping the numbers of police in London. They will say, well, that's not our job, but as Sadiq Khan's always moaning about it, they could have found the money. You know, they can find the money for this stuff when they need it and they can find the police officers like they have over the last week in London when they need to. Yeah, but of course they were faced, and, and to an extent, the senior managers and the leaders of the police really got caught short last week because mm. this kind of protest was something that they hadn't catered for before, and clearly none of those in power had the ability to look round the corner and anticipate yeah. something like this. I think they probably should, that largely should be a part of their job, to have that ability to look round the corner. Yeah. Um, so and they yeah, should have been much better at dealing with them rather than allowing them to, at least on the face of it, look as if they were in charge. I mean, I said that last week, if this lot don't want to leave London, it looks as though they can stay as long as they like. Well, of course, the protests on Waterloo Bridge, Oxford Circus and at Parliament Square were illegal, yeah. as opposed to the one at Marble Arch right. where the police were imploring them to go to. Right. And I was there, I was there at Oxford Circus, and I got hugely irritated by what I saw, mm. by the entitlement of the protesters yeah. who felt they could just plonk a boat down, lie down in the road, and inconvenience many, many, many mum members of the public. Yeah, millions. And have a considerable impact on local businesses. What gave them the right to do that? Mm. If they'd been a bit more switched on, and I've heard them boast about all the bright minds that they have within that movement, then surely they could have liaised and engaged with businesses, with legislators, and with other people exactly. that would actually put forward some kind of solutions to a problem which I readily accept is there and we need to do something yeah. about. Yeah, but we don't need to lie about it in the roads. Peter, as ever, thank you very much indeed. Peter Blexley there, former Metropolitan Police Officer, talking great sense on all manner of subjects, including, of course, the Extinction Rebellion mob uh, who brought London to a standstill seemingly at will whenever they felt like it. Finally, the police moved in uh, at the weekend and started to remove them properly uh, and with some force because otherwise they'd still be here. I tell you, you know, the police have got uh, many, many problems and I have sympathy 
for them in many, many ways. However, uh, they are run, it would seem, by people who don't know what's going on. Apparently, uh, the Metropolitan Police are now launching an investigation to try and discover who it was that was skateboarding uh, over Waterloo Bridge, who it was uh, that was actually um, dancing with the protesters. Well, that shouldn't be so hard to do, should it? They wear numbers on their jackets, for heaven's sake. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod, and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We've had a busy show so far and I imagine this hour will be just as busy. LaDonna Harvey's going to be joining us from the US of A. She'll tell us what the reaction there has been to Donald Trump being granted a proper state visit here in June when he's going to come and see the Queen. Uh, he may or may not come and uh, address both Houses of Parliament. Apparently John Burko isn't that keen, even though the House of Lords people say, we'd love to have President Trump in uh, for the state visit. He hasn't decided yet whether he's going to do that, uh, but we'll find out what's going on on that. That side of the pond as well. Meanwhile, normal service has been uh, resumed by the police. Uh, they're telling us that they can't solve about 50% of crimes, but at least they've stopped dancing with the protesters from Extinction Rebellion. Coming up in this hour, we're going to be finding out how you can jam somebody's phone. They do it in hotels all the time. They do it in some restaurants, and they certainly do it in some private clubs. Apparently now, though, uh, there's one company working on a device which might let you do it out, generally speaking, in the open air, or maybe in a uh, train carriage. Also coming up, uh, we'll be finding out a bit more about what is going on uh, at the funeral today in Northern Ireland, where Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn have both decided to go uh, for the funeral uh, of Lyra McKee. Uh, it is going to be a very sad affair, uh, but her partner has asked for people to turn up uh, in fancy dress. We'll be going live to Derry a little bit later on in this hour. 0344-499-1000. We'll keep taking your calls as well. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, how many times have you been sitting uh, either on a bus uh, or even maybe on a plane just before it takes off or very possibly on a train and there's somebody talking very loudly into a mobile phone telling you all sorts of stuff that you really wished you didn't have to hear uh, because they've got their earbuds in, they're shouting uh, and they're saying half the time a bit like that ridiculous kind of uh, trigger happy show. You know, yeah, no, I can't. No, I'm on a train. You know, all that sort of thing. Very irritating. Imagine if you could just press a button and somehow block that call and they wouldn't be able to make it until they get off at the other end. Uh, apparently, there is a company now uh, which is drawing up plans for new technology that could do that uh, and prevent antisocial passengers from upsetting everybody. I'm going to talk to our good friend Jasper Hamill, uh, who is the tech and science reporter at Metro, because I'm sure he'd agree with me that this could be uh, a great boon to society. Jasper, a very good afternoon to you. Uh, hi, nice to nice speak to you again. Um, I think it would be a boon for society, but I also think it would be a bit of a bit of a loss. I'm very nosy. I, I know everyone gets annoyed by people <laughs> shouting away on the tube or the train, but I personally find it fascinating. I've heard about people's love life. I've heard about having their house raided by criminals. Right. I, 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 I find it fascinating, although I do welcome the technology generally. Well, yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, some people have suggested to me on Twitter that this might be in breach of some law under the Communications Act. But, I mean... I've been in certainly hotel rooms before where you can't use a mobile phone, you can't get a signal. I've certainly been in private clubs where they say, we don't want you to use the phone, and actually not only do we not want you to use it, but we've blocked you from using it. And uh, and, and certainly you can do that 
you know, the police can do it in certain situations, switching off mobile signals when there's been a terrorist yeah. attack. So, I mean, I don't know whether there's a legal issue here, is there? Um, I, I guess there probably is, because if you were going out into the public and, and a firm was able to access your mobile phone and tell it to do certain things, then I think that probably would be a, a breach of privacy um, in some capacity, because that, that's how this technology would, would work. But right. the one that they, they'd fit it on a bus or something, and if you sat next to it, uh, it could uh, change your settings in your yeah. phone. I'm I, assu- think, I think possibly. But assuming, though, I mean, like, for example, all trains now, sort of, you know, long-haul trains, if you want to call them, for want of a better word, have, pro- have sort of silent carriages, don't they? But they don't enforce it. I would imagine if it's your train, you can put a block signal like very same, very in the same way that a hotel can. Um, yes, I guess, I, I guess you can. I, I think most of the time, the way they work these days is they just block the reception. Yeah. So this is slightly different in that it actually changes the settings on your phone. Right. I mean, if a- Apple could decide that they would make their phones totally uh, impervious to this kind of technology, or and Android might have it. So it might find that annoying kind of Apple Apple fans you could still hear chatting <laughs> on the train, whereas people with Android... I wonder if you more, did a survey more. whether you would find that the people who talk on either Android or Apple phones have different conversations, different types of stories. I'm sure you could chant a kind, <laughs> chart kind of self-satisfaction and the expense of your phone yeah. um, on, a, on an upwards correlation because you always see the people with the biggest phones always seem to have the least interesting things to say, <laughs> but, but, the, but the largest volume well, of... Well, that's delivery. true. Also, of course, I mean, we, we spend half of our lives now trying to work out whether or not our phones are listening to us, even though we don't want them to. You know, switching off the microphones on all sorts of social media apps, only to discover that Facebook is still coming up with an advert on something you just talked about. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine that's going to get any better either, to be honest. I mean, people have Alexa devices in their home, and we don't really know what's being done with that data. No. Um, and, and some of the patents being passed by technology companies uh, uh, to literally track your movements around your home um, and listed in for keywords and goodness knows what. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the news that your phone can be manipulated in this way would make you think, well, how else are they manipulated? Yeah. What do I really do? I really know everything that's happening to me. And the answer is... No, you don't. We right. haven't got a clue what the big tech companies are doing, really. We have their promises, but our, our lawmakers and our politicians are so far behind the geniuses that Facebook and Google that we can't possibly stop what they're doing. Well, quite. even know what it is. Well, also, we've got people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, you know, exploring space. They're so wealthy that they can just fire satellites up uh, and, and start watching us without us even knowing about it. What's interesting about this story in The Times today is that it's the Cubic Corporation, which is apparently behind this idea of jamming smartphones, right? And they are the parent company of Cubic Transportation Systems, which owns and runs the Oyster Card Network. Um, yes, well, they're, they're a company that deals in, I guess, big data and yeah. kind of military military stuff as well. Really? Um, yeah, they, they've got sort of various kind of other jamming devices um, for military purposes. Uh, uh, one for blocking people. You know, you could uh, imagine trying to steal someone's money mm. from a contactless card. They've got the machine that blocks that, for instance. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, in terms of kind of global, slightly mysterious corporations uh, who you wouldn't want to say too much about, mm. um, they definitely are a, a big and, you know, mysterious yeah. corporation. Because, I mean, that's another thought that's only just occurred to me, is if you are living in London and you do have an Oyster card, which most people do, or you use a contactless card to travel on the on the tube and bus network, they're collecting all that data on you as to where you go, how long you're there for, where, you know, which way you come back. I mean, it's a lot of information, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, you, you can actually plot it. There's a website that allows you to plot it, and it's quite fascinating. Really? your kind of different journeys through, through the underground. Right. And then, of course, once you've got off somewhere, you get off at Liverpool Street and you head to the pub and you use your card there, then your card, man- your card manufacturer knows that you've gone to Weatherspoons and ordered four pints, you know. Uh, and then your Not in my case. Did you get off the tube? <laughs> oh, do you, you're not a drinker? Uh, not in Weatherspoons, no. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Although I have been, I have been to the Weatherspoons at Liverpool Street once before. It was the only place open before I went to a game at Spurs. Yeah, it's not. It's not the classiest establishment on earth, to be honest. It's not on a Sunday morning at about ten o'clock. It's not great. No, but at least if you could shut up the people talking on their phones, I guess it would be. Well, a, yeah, that's a little bit more bearable. Well, although was it not Weatherspoons who first kind of came up with the black, the ban on mobiles? They and they didn't they didn't block them. They just told people they didn't want them to use them in their uh, establishments. Yeah, I, I, but I guess pubs have been trying to stop people doing things for, for goodness knows how long. I mean, I'm sure 
we all bought booze when we were under 18. I think if you can't stop underage drinkers, how are you going to stop kind of overage phone blabbing? Well, I have, I have these conversations with, with my, my son's teenage friends now who've, who've been talking to me about all manner of things, about, you know, blocking this and, you know, they talk about the porn block coming in. I was having a chat with one of his friends the other uh-huh. day and he said, well, we'll all, we'll all figure out a way to get around it. And I went, all right, well, I still think it's a good idea to have it because if, you, if, you, if it discourages certain people from not breaking the law, then that's surely a good thing. But, I mean, teenagers now, with access to all sorts of stuff online, seem to be able to get whatever they want. Yeah, there's no, there's certainly no way of hiding from the porn ban. I, I, I'm with you. I think it's a great thing. I think the kind of the sexual practices that porn has allowed us to, to look at, just at the drop of a hat, yeah. are really quite revolting. Yeah. And any way of making that harder to access is, is welcome. But yeah, you can buy something called a VPN, yeah. which I always get mixed up with a, a VPL, which is something <laughs> we used to talk about in yeah. the 90s. Yeah, uh, we don't mention that VPN. sort of stuff on Red Talk Radio, I'm afraid. No, of course not. So no. it's a VPN, virtual private network, and what that allows you to do, you've got to pay a small fee, uh, and you can access the internet from a, a sort of a secure site yeah. all around the world. So you can pretend you're in America, you can pretend you're in Russia. You well, I, I mean, I've, I, I know people way. who have been to China where sort of Twitter is banned, and then they've got one of those and gone into China. I can't believe, in a way, that that's not trackable by the authorities. If the authorities are uh, sort of relatively malignant and malign, why would they not track you knowing that you've got a VPN? Can they not do it? Um, I I think, of course, they can, yeah, because uh, when you go to the VPN, you're trusting the company that you're going to to not store records of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, And I I sense if that was a legal requirement, then, of course, they would. Yeah, you're you're certainly not guaranteed to be safe. No, in in, in actual fact, if, if you lived in China and the cops wanted to go on a sort of a trawling expedition, they could just go to the owner of every VPN, get all their records, and bust everyone in, in one fell swoop. Well, you know? quite, yeah. 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 Uh, so how far away is this uh, particular development? Because they're now saying, this company, Cubic, that uh, they're drawing up plans for this new technology, um, but it's not something they're going to do like immediately. Yeah, it's, it's hard to tell with patents because c- companies often pass patents because they've just developed the technology and they don't want rivals to use it or almost as a kind of show of prestige so yeah. stuff that's patented it doesn't necessarily come into the public domain but you te- if it does it tends to sort of be a few years afterwards i'm not sure if it's the sort of thing they would actually publicly test because i, I sense there would be a, certainly a privacy backlash and i think mm. it's, not, it's not a good look to be telling people what they can and can't do in public in that way no and but i, I suppose in public. and i suppose if you were on the receiving end of having your phone jammed uh, through no fault of your own, but somebody just decided to do it anyway because they saw you on the phone. I mean, the thing that I find now slightly irritating is is people walking down the street because they've got the old earbuds in um, and just talking loudly to nobody in particular. I don't mind two people walking down the street, but somebody on their own somehow is more irritating. Yeah, um, I, I think the great concern is, say they jammed your phone and, and a relative was in a car crash or yeah. something like that and they right. were hurt badly, and you can get it. That, that, that happened to me actually on a quiet carriage with a well-known Radio 1 DJ. Oh, really? Uh, my, my mother was in hospital and I answered the phone call and he turned around and he shushed me. I'm not going to mention his name okay. and, and I'm afraid my response was quite robust. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, occasionally you have to do that sort of thing, don't you? You do. And, and imagine, you know, you're blocked for 10 minutes, you get off the train something awful has happened. Yeah. I, I just can't imagine. And then, and then that goes in the newspapers and on the radio. It would be terribly bad publicity for yeah. Cubic Corporation or, or whoever corporation yeah, no, installed this technology. Exactly right. And, I mean, what do you make of the 5G story today, just to, to finish up, Jasper, because we've been talking about it already. We're going to talk to uh, Bob Seeley MP coming up uh, about the government's deal with Huawei, who seem to be a company that a lot of other countries don't want to do business with. But we have decided to get into business with them and help promote the 5G network. Do you have any concerns about that? Um, I, I, I look at it... Um, as, as America versus China, but when you when you use an American corporation, you're kind of buying into American values. Uh, but when you use a Chinese corporation, you're buying into Chinese values. And, and I think Chinese values are surveillance, oppression of the public, um, monitoring, mm. and and goodness knows what they're doing with their military. So no, I think we would be mad to to invite a company with links to the Chinese state to run such a crucial part of yeah. our infrastructure. I'd yeah. much rather trust an American or, or European. It's very you strange. Don't know what China's gender is. No, I mean, that is the problem, isn't it? I mean, I had a strange one the other day. I had a, uh, my, my phone, mobile phone carrier uh, said that I might have to download a new kind of upgrade 
from from uh, the iPhone system, but involved in that was also an upgrade of uh, the phone's configuration system, right? Now, I wasn't sure about this, so I went onto the website and they said, download this. I started to look at downloading and it said, uh, this download will involve data monitoring. And as soon as I read that, I thought, well, I don't think I want to do that. Um, so I haven't. I don't know whether you know anything about this, but have you seen that at all? No, no, I haven't. I mean, goodness knows what we agree to when we update our phones. Well, of course we have no idea, do we? conditions are so confusing. No, and the terms and conditions can be updated at the drop of a hat. Um, nobody reads them. You just think, oh, I just want to open my Google account. Let me in. Um, but I mean, goodness knows what we're agreeing to. Um, I, Apple, you're generally quite safe with Apple, actually, because they do ask you before they gather data. Like, for instance, if you search for a location on, on Safari, it will tell you, do you want to give Google your location or yeah. not? Right. Um, whereas you wouldn't be offered that. So I think you can sort of semi-trust Apple um, when they, but you can't trust the manufacturers of the apps. No, that is the problem. Jasper, thank you very much indeed. Jasper Hamill there, tech and science reporter at Metro on the news that uh, the company that currently produces your Oyster card, and I'm not, no doubt they might do that in other parts of Britain as well, uh, if you've got a transportation sort of network travel card. Uh, they're looking at getting into the possibility of jamming people's phones. On the face of it, I quite like the idea of doing it if you're on a quiet train or if you're sitting on a plane or something like that. But is it too dangerous to give somebody that kind of power? Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 Matthew Wright coming up at 1 o'clock, of course, with Kevin O'Sullivan taking you all the way through until 4. The skies are darkening slightly here uh, in London. Uh, it looks as though that uh, rather nice Easter sun heat wave uh, is passing. A couple of people have got something to say about the 360-degree approach. Uh, Steve says, isn't having a 360-degree view on things just mean you keep going round in circles? And Steve, a different one, says, constantly looking at things in the 360 degrees just made me dizzy. I will not be doing it again. And Mark says, surely a 360-degree turn takes one back to the original facing direction. Do they really mean a 180? Well, I don't know. I don't know why everybody's suddenly mentioning this. Uh, How about this from Matt? He says, I put my registration number in the website for ultra-low emissions, and it came back that I had to pay. I have a private plate, and when I put the original number plate details in, I was exempt. Same vehicle. Go figure. That doesn't sound right to me. Let's talk to Peter, uh, who's in the Canaries. Hello, Peter. Yeah, hi there, Mike. Morning. Yeah, good, very well. What do you want to tell us? Uh, Okay, alternative fuels. There's Mm. one that nobody ever talks about, um, and that's uh, LPG. Yes. You know about liquid petrol and gas? I've got two vehicles I've had for a long time. I converted them right at the beginning to LPG. Okay. It's a much much cleaner... How how easy is that that to do? It costs um, costs a couple of grand on on each vehicle. Okay. But, you know, the the fuel itself is is much cleaner. There's no particular emissions. I mean, literally, if you're standing next to a vehicle and you switch it between petrol and LPG, you can smell the difference in the car. I mean, it's just... And where do you get get the um, fuel from? Well, that's that's, that's the thing. I mean, the countryside is quite easy to get, but I'm a Londoner, and London has got very tricky. There's only only a handful of stations. Sainsbury's are pretty good at it. Used to be BP. I used to use the BP right. station in um, Shepherd's Bush, but they BP have stopped providing it. So that's, that's and um, is it, is it cheap? I mean, is it cheaper? Why why would they stop providing it? Is there, there's no yeah, money in it for them? Well, you know, it's 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 crazy. Um, they, the cars normally start start up on on petrol, and then after a very short time, it switches automatically to to LPG. Right. So there's a very short period of time that's actually you know on on fuel. Right. So you do actually have to buy fuel as, as well as LPG. Okay. But um, price price wise, it's you know it's much more economical and oh. it's much cleaner. So you know what's not to like about it. But and who makes it? Mayor, I mean, is it manufactured by all the major sort of oil companies or not? Um, well, the the main suppliers in the auto gas and gas. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's basically propane, the same stuff you use in, in your in your Caligas heaters. All oh, right, so, so it's know, a bit like what it's, it's a running running on barbecue fuel. Pretty much, okay. Pretty much, and it's um so you don't get any of the particulates and 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 and, all, and the NOx emissions are fractional compared with diesel and petrol. So it is so it is it is a clean clean fuel, but in his wisdom, the mayor's decided that um he's basing whether to tax you or not on your vehicle. Um, as it was in the state, it was purchased. So in other words, if you if you bought a car at a certain period of time that was only Euro three, 
emissions and not Euro 4 or 5, as it's now got to be, even if you've made the car cleaner by having it converted, you still get, get hit with this, um, with this tax. Mm. Unless you're a taxi, the taxes, the taxes lobbied, yeah, lobbied the mayor and said, well, we've got LPG taxes, why should we pay? And he said, OK, then, I'll let you off. But so the, ta- the, 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 the taxis also have uh, what they regard as disability access, which is one of the reasons why apparently they are exempt. And it's one of the things that they hold up as, as, a, as, a, as a sort of a, a mirror to themselves, if you like. And they may have been clever at that, but the point is, is that they get the exemption because of disability access. Well, and, and you know as well as I do, you know, around London, it's the taxes and taxes and the, and the buses that put out most of the most of the. Well, I mean, there are way too many buses in London. Absolutely, no doubt about that. Peter, thanks very much indeed. Fascinating, interesting stuff. I didn't know anything about that particular kind of fuel. Let's talk to Ian, uh, who's up in Palmer's Green. He wants to talk about the uh, police. Hello, Ian. Yeah, morning, Mike. Morning, it's, uh, Ian, the gin man. I know, indeed, you, um, indeed, it is. How's the gin coming along? Yeah, good, good. Your producer, the Spanish lady, said that I could come in at some point and we'll yeah. do a tasting. Yeah, we will do a tasting. Well, yeah, we will organise that. She's away at the moment, but uh, keep in touch. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, just wanted to put it on your radar. A personal experience with uh, with Her Majesty's Finest. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, um, I have another company. I have a plumbing company, a leak detection company. Our bookkeeper stole um, over twenty five thousand pounds from us over a long period of time. Right. Lots of very small, small, small amounts, but obviously over a period of time, it all ended up. Um, when we eventually found this out, obviously I was, just couldn't believe it. So, you know, if you're going to confront somebody with that, you really need hard evidence. Yes. So once I got the hard evidence from the accountant, I approached the bookkeeper. I secretly recorded the conversation so there was no ambiguity about what was or wasn't said, how it was said. You can listen to it. It's very polite and respectful. Right. Um, I'd accused her of stealing the money, and, and she was in absolute shock. And right. I, said, Look, I said, I'm not creating a row. I said, look, I'm not unreasonable. I don't know why you've taken it. If I give you 14 days to, to pay it back, is that reasonable? She went, oh, my God, yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. And she left. She left there immediately. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, two weeks later, didn't hear a thing. Contacted her, got a letter from her solicitor saying that if I ever contact her again, she would go to the police for harassment. Oh, yeah. So I then went, went reported. And she actually, police. she'd admitted taking it, presumably, had she? Yeah, absolutely. And I've got it all on tape. So um, I went to the police. Um, I went to the police and the police interviewed her and she said that I threatened her and all this kind of stuff. Fortunately, I'd recorded it and the police tried to do me for harassment and not her. But with the, with, with the recording, it was absolutely clear that that wasn't the case. Right. Um, the police refused to, investigating, uh, to investigate the, 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 the embezzlement. Mm. Um, so what I actually had to do was a, a, a former retired police officer who's a friend of mine um, did all the groundwork, put it all into the appropriate forms, and I literally went down to Woodgreen Crown Court, where the CPS are based, right. and I walked into the CPS office, handed them the document. They thought I was a put a suit on. They thought I was a policeman, and the CPS prosecuted her right. without the help of the police. Wow, absolutely true. I didn't even know you could do that. I didn't know you could actually approach you, the CPS as an individual. You can't. You, you can't. Well, uh, we, well, I did. So, I mean, it can be done. Yeah. It's just something you would assume that you can't do. There's no law. I mean, right. the CPS have a, ma- uh, have a legal obligation that if there is evidence of a crime, they prosecute. Yes. So I handed them the evidence. I handed it to the head of the CPS, who just happened to open the door when I knocked on the door. <laughs> so, although, although of course, the CPS, Ian, will tell you um, that they may not always prosecute, even if they've got evidence, because they also have to take into account the likelihood of their success in a prosecution. True. So if they don't Absolutely. think you're likely to... To win, they're not going to bother. True. No, that's absolutely true. But, the, but I shouldn't have had to have gone to those. No, notes. I mean that's just crazy. That is bonkers. Yeah, I'm surprised. I thought you were going to end the story with you had to end up bringing a private prosecution to try and get the money back. Did you ever get no, the? No, no, did no, you no. ever went, get the went, money went, back? Went green. Yeah, I did. I got, I got, um, I got twenty grand out of the twenty-five, and she, um, she, she pleaded not guilty. Um, so a three-day trial was set at Wood Green Crown Court. And literally on the first day of um, the trial, she changed her plea to guilty, and she just took a two-year suspended mm. prison sentence. Right. And did you have to? Did you get it all back in one go, or was it all kind of dribs and drabs? Yeah, it's all dribs and drabs. Yeah. See, that's rubbish. That is not right. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Don't worry, we haven't suddenly decided to launch an interplanetary version of the radio show. Although, technically speaking, of course, you can hear uh, this particular show and this particular radio station in space uh, where nobody can hear you scream. Uh, we'll take more of your calls coming up a little bit later on 0344 499 1000. But today and this morning, we're going to talk about something very, very uh, extraterrestrial indeed. Uh, and we're going to talk to Gabriel uh, Elefteriu, uh, who is going to be telling us all about the policy exchanges space use. Unit, uh, which has been set up uh, yesterday to try and uh, get more out of space, basically. Uh, Gabrielle, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank, thanks very much indeed for joining us. This is a fascinating idea. Really, uh, we don't seem to think we know enough about space and we don't really use space, perhaps, as well as we ought to. Um, well, I mean, you, you're right about the first one. Um, we don't know enough sp- about space and about what space does. Uh, for the daily life uh, of uh, people and um, how important it is to national security, to the economic well-being of the country and for delivering many of the public services on which um, our life uh, depends. No, quite. For example... Yeah, for example, um, you know, uh, everybody knows that, um, you know, you've got GPS that allows you to find your way um, around, the, around the place. And that also enables, um, you know, delivery services and, you know, large chunks of the economy. But you also have um, uh, the timing function delivered by um, GPS. Mm. Um, involved in synchronizing the electrical grid, for right. example. Um, and that timing function uh, is also used to um, facilitate um, the international financial system. So uh, to timestamp financial transactions. Mm. So, um, for example, if um, GPS satellites, so global uh, navigation and position satellites, um, are attacked and if that constellation breaks down you won't be able to take money out of your um, bank right. um, uh, well you wouldn't be able to do so. anything really I mean it's massive we've yeah. now become so reliant upon this kind of technology that that you're absolutely right to say that we should be uh, at least knowing more about it and, and, and at the very least protecting it more you launched um, at the policy exchange a space policy unit yesterday tell us a little bit about that what uh, what plans do you have uh, and and how did we get involved with it? Yeah, so um, uh, the space policy unit at Policy Exchange is, is the first of its kind, actually, uh, of any um, at any UK think tank. Mm. Um, it's founded on on this basic idea that space power is now a critical component of the UK uh, grand strategy in the 21st century. So uh, we need to think about our capabilities in the space domain as a core dimension of the national interest so it's it's not just another sector of the economy like um, i don't know driverless cars right. or anything like that yeah. it's not just another branch of technology policy but this is uh, truly strategic and we need to treat it with the same kind of seriousness as uh, we do uh, nuclear deterrence for sure. example just because we are so dependent on it um, and uh, we were very uh, very pleased and honored to um, have our unit launched uh, yesterday in in Westminster by the secretary of the US Air Force Heather Wilson mm-hmm. um, and uh, she was introduced by the uh, UK Science Minister, Chris uh, Skidmore, right. who has responsibility for space. Um, and uh, with a vote of thanks by the former Science Minister, Lord Willett, who was, um, had a key role in mm. um, setting up the, the UK's modern uh, space sure. policy. Because the, the, the USA does have a National Space Council. So what does that do? Because you, you're, you're arguing that, that we should have something similar, right? Minister Skidmore um, put that idea forward in his remarks yesterday, and um, I think he's absolutely right. Um, And this proposal of uh, having a um, high-level National Space Council um, goes to the very heart of the matter. We need uh, strong direction and high-level political ownership of um, of space policy. In the U.S., this... uh, the national the u.s national space council sits in the executive office of the president is chaired by the vice president um it's got a long history it was something um similar was first established in 1958 and then 
um, you know, different presidential administrations took different uh, approaches to it in terms of how it was organized, what the membership was. Um, so at various times it sat. Um, it was organized within the National Security Council in the United States. Mm. Uh, at other times, it was completely disbanded, so it didn't, didn't exist, uh, or it was uh, run by the um, office of uh, the science advisor to the president. Right. Um, the Trump administration has revived uh, the National Space Council as a high-level, as a high-level um, uh, advisory. Yes. Well, they've talked about making more trips to the moon, haven't they, I think? And, and with the Chinese involvement in, in uh, sending uh, ships to the moon and also Jeff Bezos from Amazon, uh, Elon Musk, uh, SpaceX, um, private kind of companies getting involved in space. I mean, it's becoming a big, uh, a big space race again, isn't it? Yes, so uh, that is actually the, the background for um, for our um, own efforts at policy exchange in establishing the space unit. I mean, this we are doing this in response to an astonishing transformation that's now going on in mm. um, space affairs. There are new technologies um, that have uh, emerged that have led to falling launch costs. Mm-hmm. Um, this has opened the space uh, space to commercial exploitation on an unprecedented scale. So, uh, yes, people are now talking about the space age, the space 2.0. Something um, has changed dramatically. The parameters of the entire sector have changed, have changed dramatically. And we're looking at a uh, global space economy that is set to surpass $1 trillion uh, right. by the 2040s. So, um, yes, so there are many more actors in space. Sure. and um, Which might mean that your what, idea of making it more sort of secure and, and having more of a focus on defence for this country is even more important. Yes, of course. I mean, that is just one side of what um, our space policy would be uh, looking at. Uh, we will actually be taking a 360-degree uh, approach to this policy area so looking at how we make um, you know what are the policy requirements for making Britain more competitive in the commercial um, aspects of space so we need to grow our space industrial base Uh, we need to ensure uh, the UK space sector is able to compete effectively Mm. uh, on the global uh, the global um, level. Cool. Well, it's a great um, idea, and I'm certainly in great support of it, Gabrielle. So, so do let us know the next time you've got an event or something, and we'll, we'll perhaps come and cover it for you. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Gabrielle L.F. Terriou there, uh, head of the Policy Exchange's new space unit, uh, which is going to try and convince everyone that we need to do more in space, we need to do more to protect our space, and as well, we need to protect all those satellites. You just imagine if all those satellites somehow got hacked into or all got shot down. You know, we wouldn't be able to do anything. I mean, Extinction Rebellion would have a hell of a problem talking to each other, wouldn't they? 0344 499 1000. Also, have you noticed a lot of people lately have started to say we're taking a 360-degree approach to this? What does that mean, exactly? I know what 360 degrees is, but, I mean, why is everyone suddenly saying it? This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Join the Talk Nation. Dial up and Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. Welcome back, Vinny! Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.